the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hi and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Soft Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley. With me as always, Joe Quinn. Say hello, Joe. What's up? What's up? It's good to be here. Today is Sunday, April 20th, 2016. This week we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to kick it off with the discussion of the big news over the last week. In fact, the story, I think, broke right after we finished last week's show on Sunday evening. It's a shocker, right? Get this. World leaders might be a little bit corrupt. Are you shocked? Did you say it's April 20th? I did. Excuse me. It's April 10th. For some reason, that April 20th in my head, I had to correct my own show notes twice before coming in here. I was like, April 20th? What? No, it's April 10th. April 10th. So, yeah, this is no April Fool's joke. World leaders are dallying in corruption. Oh, my God. Shock horror. Oh, my God. Who would ever have thought it? I mean, just look at their track record over the past 13, 14, 15, uh, 5, 50, 60, 100 years. It's just such a shocking thing. But, um, yeah, obviously it's not shocking at all. What is shocking? Well, what's kind of good about it, I suppose, is that is that it has a little bit of it has come to public attention because the public aren't really aware of anything that's going on unless the media tell them what's going on. And this would be an opportunity for the media to actually say, yeah, politicians are a bit corrupt, aren't they? They're a bit hypocritical. You know the way they get us to pay taxes and then they're not paying taxes themselves? <clears throat> we bit suspect they're kind of, um, you know, maybe we should be a bit annoyed about that. But of course... As we know in this world, the truth doesn't really come out in any kind of full, in-your-face kind of way. It tends to leak out in little bits and pieces, and I think that's what's going on here. For whatever reason, <clears throat> uh, just a little bit of the truth has come out, and it's, it's amazing because it's enough to get a lot of people very angry. Uh, can you imagine what would happen if the whole truth came out? Uh-huh. Having said that, though, Joe, you, you mentioned during the week that if there's one issue that will get people um, riled up on the streets however they express the reaction it's taxes yeah because that's where people feel it directly in their pockets you know um, directly in their in their homes and uh, it, it impacts their, their quality of life in a very very direct way and um, that's unfortunately the, the state of the situation for most people on this planet that it's um, they uh, they can only be provoked really to react or to do something or to feel indignant or angry at the state of corruption on our planet when it affects them uh, directly um, so of course you can you can imagine that people in for example 
you know, other countries that aren't directly affected by this or haven't been directly named by the media, they're not so concerned. But British people were concerned because it was largely focused on on David Cameron, although the media tried to uh, do a Putin on it at the beginning, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Uh, I was actually I was watching it on the very on the night that this came out, and the first uh, media reports, first articles were being penned, and I I commented like it was in the UK Independent. I commented that uh, on on their inclusion of a picture of Putin as the headline picture of their article. And uh, in the article itself, in the first couple of paragraphs, it said that Putin had not been actually named himself. It was something associated with him, and that was the justification for including the picture of Putin, which was just absolutely laughable because it's like he's the go-to person for anything that goes wrong anywhere, anytime, uh, if in any way you can... Uh, link Putin to it, then get a picture of Putin up there. You know, if uh, you know, if there's an earthquake, and somebody that Putin knows or knows Putin was in the area at the time, you could put massive earthquake hits. You know, Afghanistan, uh, Putin implicated. <laughs> Putin may be involved. Um, so it's kind of it's, it's it's that ridiculous in this case, especially since uh, he wasn't actually. They had to admit he wasn't named specifically, and yet. Um, what do you call him? Uh, that strawberry-nosed Cameron jumped up, snobby twerp. Uh, what's his name? Cameron. Yeah, um, he was named directly, and yet they didn't they deem see fit to put his picture on there. Just bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And in fact, so I commented that on in the article, in the in the comments, and in fact, some other people had commented at the same time, uh, words to that effect, and it was interesting that. Uh, other, like the BBC and different uh, UK uh, outlets, outlets of bullshit had um, done the same thing and uh, highlighted the Putin angle and other people on those websites had also said, hang on a minute, Putin, is, what's going on here, you know? So eventually they all changed their picture. Within a few hours, they all changed the picture on their headlines, which was interesting. <coughs> so, um, yeah, but uh, so it's all about offshore tax hiding stuff, um, you know, one rule for them, another rule for us in terms of paying taxes. Uh, and in fact, you know, um, the interesting thing about it, the angle on it is, is that it's it, there's so many kind of nuances to it that, that just are not true. For example, you're talking about politicians, for example, um, you can't really you can't really make the comparison uh, in terms of we have to pay our taxes like a UK citizen has to pay his taxes and it's hounded by the government for any kind of uh, uh, non-payment of taxes or tax fraud uh, and also the politicians therefore should, should also pay their taxes but um, the ordinary person pays taxes on income that they generate, which is directly from the kind of uh, the sweat of their brow and producing something useful to society. Politicians get their income from people's taxes. And they don't really do very much 
uh, constructive at all with that. So you can't really even equate uh, this as a, or, or you can't even even present this as a we we have to pay taxes. So should politicians, because politicians, uh, the politicians, for example, dodging their taxes is much more egregious than an ordinary person dodging their tax. You know, uh, for, for the reasons I just gave in that. Uh, the only the, the money that politicians get comes from our taxes, so it's like they're taking our tax money, paying them and 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 enriching themselves with it, and not paying, not giving some of it back in the taxes. Um, but there's also the angle of the uh, the offshore angle, which is kind of another bit of a limited hangout. Yeah, there's something like two or three trillion dollars estimated to be hiding in 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 these bank accounts or in, in behind phony corporations and. In places like the British Virgin Islands and Panama and um, several other kind of tax havens around the world, uh, which is a lot of money because, you know, two, three trillion dollars, you could even put a 10% tax on that. That's something like, what, 200, 200 million, uh, 200 billion, sorry, and uh, taxes that could be distributed around. But the, the problem is that um, the real problem is onshore tax havens, uh, not offshore, uh, and places that aren't actually tax havens at all, not officially, mm-hmm. uh, like the like the UK. Mm-hmm. The UK, for example, is a tax haven for major corporations. Uh, most people know that, and, and the US as well, most people know that um, uh, big, big uh, corporations pay almost... Some, in some cases, pay no tax whatsoever, and in other cases, pay tiny amounts of tax compared to the ordinary, ordinary person. Um, there's a, for example, I'll give you an example here. Um, Google, which is uh, generates a lot of money. Google uh, generated 11.8 billion pounds. This is just in the UK alone of revenue between in the five years between 2006 and 2011, and they paid just 16 million in corporation tax. So they paid sixteen. What sixteen? What the percent is? Uh, sixteen million of eleven point eight billion. It's about one point five percent, I think. Uh, Google paid one point five percent tax. Sounds like it could be less than that. I think it's a hundredth. One. Yeah. It's a bit more than a hundred times sixteen million. Oh, maybe it's actually less. It's maybe a tenth of one percent. It's like zero point one five percent of uh, t- tax they paid in five years. Uh, Microsoft. You know, in the UK and Ireland, paid a, a similar amount, um, and that's just two examples. There's plenty of other corporations that all use, uh, uh, kind of funnel their profits through uh, subsidiaries in the UK, for example, or in other countries, uh, and um, they, it's it's kind of it's, it's like a it's a bait and switch or it's a con job basically where they. They'll claim they'll take all the money that they that they make in one country. They'll shove it into a different country, and and transfer that revenue over to a different country that has a lower rate of tax, um, and claim oh in the UK we only made you know ten billion ten million, uh, where they made a hundred million whatever. So they don't pay that amount of tax and stuff. So it's basically the bottom line is that uh, this is uh, complete um, cookery and robbery, and. Um, these are companies that are generating vast amounts of money in countries um, through the 
efforts and the sweat of the brow of the ordinary people in those countries who are all paying their taxes, but these companies that are making uh, maybe more money than the, the combined number of people that, that mm-hmm. they, they employ uh, are not contributing their share back to the economy. Uh, so they're effectively taking out of the economy and not giving back. Uh, and that's how how is a country meant to be run, how are services and infrastructure meant to be kept up when that is, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is the, the, the process that's, that's followed. And that's obviously done with the connivance of governments because governments uh, are happy to allow big corporations to come into countries and uh, they want to entice them to come in to, as they say, as they say give jobs. Uh, we want to create some jobs. So let's get Google or Microsoft or whoever else uh, to set up in the UK or anywhere and they'll create jobs. And this is good. And they'll tell everybody, yeah, that's what we want. We want, want you to have some jobs. Don't you want some jobs? Let's have some more jobs. But what they want, what they really want, the real motivation uh, is not really creating jobs, but rather the, the for them the most important indirect uh, or direct result of job creation, which is more taxes. Uh, the more jobs you have, the more people working, the more the more you can squeeze them for taxes, and the more the government can, you know, pay pay itself, pay pay, pay government officials, uh, you know, salaries and uh, expense accounts and all the kind of stuff, and live high in the hog. And that's why they're happy to let these corporations give them a, a cut or let them do shady deals yeah. with their taxes, and not pay taxes, because they're not really interested in the amount of taxes uh, that the government that the company should pay, but rather interested in the taxes that the employees of the company will pay. Mm-hmm. So it's all about ordinary people being the slaves, basically, the ones to be exploited, whereas the slave owners, technically, which would be the uh, corporations and their political friends, or the slave masters, effectively, they don't do very much and reap the benefits. Mm-hmm. And it's all from the sweat of your brow. Yeah. So yeah. Some of the figures going around are... Wow. So long before this, this um, scandal, in quotes, broke, the figures used, in fact, it's prior to 2008, figures estimated in private wealth held in so-called offshore tax havens was anywhere between 21 and $40 trillion. Mm. That's just private wealth. Then there's corporate wealth. Mm that the corporations are hiding and or making the most, you know, getting the most return out of. Because it? it's not technically hiding because it's all quite legal. Mm. So you can only imagine that's probably on a scale of magnitude greater than tens of trillions. I mean, another figure to put it into some more perspective, um, half of the private privately held money offshore is held by an estimated 100,000 individuals. Mm-hmm. 100,000. Seven or eight billion people on the planet, 100,000. I mean... Well, that's the 1% of... What's really interesting about this... 1% of to, 1%. There's a, there's a pattern. There's a historical pattern. Um, this has come out now. Okay, fine. You know this is only the tip of the iceberg when the figure I just gave you between 21 and 40 trillion is held by private individuals, 100,000 of them hidden from the tax man. In 1929, when the crash happened, 
anyone who was in the know or was had their wits about him at least didn't remove the stock from the United States and other countries, but at least managed to protect the value of it. And they moved them into places like Panama. Mm. Of course, there was a, a basically a run on the stock market. We all know what happened next. Stock market totally collapsed, and that gave rise to the Great Depression. While everyone else was suffering, everything else was parked. Like a substantial amount of the wealth of the economy was parked and, and protected, they believed, in these offshore accounts, particularly in Panama. Mm-hmm. Panama has been used in a big way before, and I would suspect, I don't, didn't see any um, attempt to collate figures, but I suspect there was a massive jump in, funnel, in the funneling of wealth after the 2008 crash. Mm-hmm. So it's got way worse than it ever was before. Yeah. Um, Panama's a really interesting case. Panama was created for the express purpose of being this a tax haven. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States basically forced Colombia to give up a province called Panama because they knew they were about to build a canal on it mm. and to control global shipping through that area. And this came about, it became a tax haven as a consequence of this free trade zone. J.P. Morgan, uh, no secret there, it was the actual fiscal agent for the Corporation of Panama, mm-hmm. which was set up by the U.S. administration in 1903 or 04. So it goes back to then. And yeah, Panama as tax haven it was created for that purpose and there are a number of sites like that on the planet mm-hmm. um, tell us a bit about this uh, Mossad Fonseca Mossad and Mossack Mossack Fonseca yeah so the, the two founders of this company that's uh, in the spotlight um, Mossack Fonseca who it was established in the 70s. The story goes that uh, 11.5 million, 11. million documents have been pilfered or hacked from them by, by some anonymous source given to the German newspaper. Um, and these documents extend in time to the very creation of this company, 1970 to 2015. That's probably partly why there's so many documents. Someone took the entire track record of what happened through this one company. It was set up by two guys, Jürgen Mossack, who's German, German citizen by birth anyway, and a Panamian lawyer, that's Ramon Fonseca. Mossack is, the German guy has got a very interesting history, born in Bavaria in 1948. His father, Erhard Mossack, was a Rotenführer, a senior corporal in the in the Waffen SS during World War II. According to U.S. intelligence files, he offered to spy for the Americans. Mossack's father moved to Canada with his family in the early 1960s, where he offered his services to the Central Intelligence Agency to supposedly spy on the communists in Cuba. In 2016, 
It doesn't say when. I'm reading this. This is a Wikipedia entry. I'm, I'm, they don't say when. I imagine this is in the run-up to the leaks. The German intelligence... Uh, oh, it must be it must be after the, the story broke last week. When contacted by journalists, German intelligence said they had documents relating to Erhard Mossack, but would not share any information owing to possible security risks. Indeed, so uh, there's a can of worms there, as you can see. So this guy Mossack is basically born and bred into a CIA operation. Um, I say that because 1948. His father's already he's basically part of the um, Operation Paperclip transfer of German Nazi intelligence assets to the United States, United States and the newly created CIA. So from the very beginning, this guy Mossack is CIA. So um, that's interesting. Okay, we'll get back to that in a second. Other things going on in the background here. You know... There's millions of people out in the streets like recently in Brazil calling for the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, who was only recently re-elected president of Brazil. And there's been a scandal, in quotes, going on there for a few months. Uh, given the media title Operation Car Wash, um, the scandal is basically that a number of Brazilian officials are accused of pilfering public funds via Petrobras, which is Brazil's large state-owned oil company. Rousseff herself is implicated. The former Brazilian president, Lula, is also implicated, although, in fact, there's very little, very little evidence against either of them. Um, but it's been enough of a kerfuffle in Brazil that Rousseff is up for impeachment. And there'll be a vote in parliament in Brazil this week. So she may be on the way out. She herself is calling, crying foul, saying it's a coup, it's a coup, of course. I, I think I know what she means by that, but um, it's, not, it's not going over well with the Brazilian public. They seem to be in support of the corrupt Rousseff, in quotes. Now, here's the connection to this other scandal. Mossack Fonseca is the company that was used to create a number of offshore companies in the, the heart of this scandal involving Petrobras in Brazil. Now, this doesn't make Rousseff guilty, but it makes somebody and some probably the clique of oligarchs in Brazil, I imagine, being in the thick of it. So now you've got only a one-remove CIA, Mossack, Fonseca, and then Rousseff kicked out of Brazil, which is the largest country in South America. And it's not hard to see how so there's some serious manipulation going on here. Um, the first, I mean, Joe mentioned the, the obvious, uh, the obviously idiotic attempts to associate Putin with the breaking story. But um, there's there's something odd about this. Listen, I mean, the amount of this is what the biggest leak in all history, right? So, eleven point five million files. Someone hacks it, gives it to the German newspaper, the Süddeutsche Zeitung. I'm not sure I pronounced that. Um, they then turn this. 2.6 terabyte 
what, hard drives over to the Washington-based International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, an NGO that's funded by the Ford, Rockefeller, and Soros Foundations, and then 400 journalists, in quotes, we don't know who they are, apparently spent the last year combing through the files in secret somewhere in Washington, D.C., maybe in the Pentagon, who knows. And now they've kept it secret and they just happen to bring it out now. Right. Of course, in those files, there's a who's who of elites all over the world. Mm-hmm. Which files did they select to open the story? Obviously, they went for the one, the dirtiest they could find on Putin, which is that the godfather of his daughter may or may not have been the director of a shell company, which is pretty weak sauce. If that's the worst they got in that 11.5 million files, but then did somebody make a mistake of including Cameron there? Because they've got Cameron like in some serious trouble now. Mm-hmm. It could be a prelude to, uh, it could be, I mean, it seems to me, that, okay, the question is this um, international consortium of silly journalists uh, uh, that is funded or owned by the by the Rockefeller Foundation, amongst others, is uh, I mean that's that right there <laughs> has to have a, a kind of large red flag on it in the sense of what does uh, what does the Rock does the Rockefeller Foundation have to do with uh, what interest does it have in in exposing well freedom and democracy of course right of course which is bullshit right so they. Uh, these people, you know, uh, near the top of the heap on this planet, um, are have a long track record of being involved in uh, revolutions and uh, color revolutions in different parts around the world. So, um, but they also may be, I mean, this may be a strategic leak of information to try and, um, I mean, they may be sacrificing Cameron. Uh, it's possible. I mean, the fact of the matter is that uh, prime ministers and presidents and stuff aren't really very important and that uh, given time it's not a big problem to just uh, throw one of them to the masses uh, to appease their their anger to allow them to let off a bit of steam so um, I'm not sure that Cameron's going to resign over this but uh, certainly it's um, it's opened opened up a lot of uh, kind of a can of worms in the sense of uh, in the sense of making government corruption and government hypocrisy. Uh, Front and centre. Right, making making it uh, available, making information available, bringing it to the awareness of the ordinary people who otherwise are just, uh, you know, don't really care or, or, or turn, turn a blind eye to most things or quietly complain about things but don't do anything about it. But like we were saying at the start of the show, when you, uh, when you more or less... Uh, expose a sitting prime minister as a hypocrite particularly over the basic duty of every citizen to pay their taxes well um it looks to me like i mean that's not that's not an accident you know um and that the fact that um the fact that there most of these documents will not be made public I mean, there's two possibilities. One is that the, all of the juicy details <clears throat> are already out there, which is unlikely. Although, 
maybe there's another layer behind this. Maybe this is just for the idiots, the kind of stupid people, the useful idiot types, politicians included and celebrities, etc. This is the place that they go to hide their money, but there's a different way that uh, that the even higher-ups hide their money effectively, you know. And I'm sure they do it legally. I mean, this is... You see, the problem with this is that the people who... The fat cat elite of this world um, aren't stupid enough, aren't naive enough uh, to simply hide their money in a way, in in a way which in which it could be exposed at some point that is that is officially illegal. Uh, they're smart enough to actually have their money in organizations and tied up in various different things that are all that are all legal. Uh, particularly that that uh, in in the financial sectors and in controlling, I mean, basically the best way to hide your money if you've got a bunch of stolen money that you've gotten from by uh, by ultimately illegal means, although which also could be legal because you passed it into law. Basically, they're talking about people who have the ability to pass laws that make things illegal, even though it's fundamentally immoral or illegal uh, or uh, fundamentally immoral. What these people would do is they, I mean, the Rockefellers of this world have their money tied up in owning most or large parts of the world. And that's not illegal to own industries all around the world. Uh, and in that case, those people, I mean, you're talking about governments are having a, a close ties to governments, close ties to, uh, you know, basically owning governments in such a way that you can invest in a country. You can invest, they invest in countries in the sense, I mean, the way that Rockefellers and those kind of people, uh, the higher-ups organize things is they buy bonds, they use the financial markets to buy bonds in countries. And when you talk about buying bonds in countries, you're talking about effectively buying, uh, investing in the entire country, in the product of the entire country. And if you buy a bond, or if you own a lot of bonds in a certain country, government bonds, Greek government bonds, for example, what you're buying there effectively is Stock the, of the, country. the product mm. of every single person in the country. You're betting on the country doing better or worse. You're buying shares in their sweat, yeah. basically, in their energy. Uh, and that way you can control. And then, if you have political control, well, then you can uh, make the country go in a certain direction that maximizes those kind of <clears throat> the, the profits you want to get back from those people in the country. For example, make them work harder, extend their working week, cut their pay, uh, cut healthcare services, all that kind of stuff. That'll increase the revenue that the that the country gets, and therefore increase the revenue that you get. So this this whole offshore business, because the the point I'm making is that. It's possible that the vast majority of the rest of these documents are the names of ordinary people who are quite wealthy and wanted to not pay taxes. And also hosts of celebrities, uh, footballers, pop stars. all. The, so, so at that level, you're not talking about kind of high crimes in that sense. You know what I mean? This is institutionalized uh, kind of tax evasion that has been around for quite a long time. Um, and people have thought it's become normal, it's become acceptable. Oh, yeah, just put it over in the Cayman Islands there. Uh, and uh, Mossack Fonseca will set you up with a company, you can create the company. That can be the uh, the money you want to not pay tax on, can be the actual uh, sh- the, the capital of the company. You can just sit there and not do very much. And then when you want it, you can just get it back uh, and, and buy a boat or something, you know. So it's pretty small time stuff here, you know, uh, in that sense, you know. But yeah. of course, if you're talking about, about 100,000 people, I don't know, 100,000 was 100 times 10 is a million, times 1,000 is a billion. So you're talking about, you know, uh, 10,000, 100, maybe each of those 100,000 people having 
couple of million, maybe, on average, or a million on average, 100,000 100, 100, times a million is what? That's 100 billion. So 10 would be in the trillions. I don't know. Work it out. The point being, I don't think it's a lot of money if you divide it by 100,000 pe- 100, people, allowing for the fact that people can have 10 million. Not, I mean, footballers get paid freaking 2 million uh, a week. Or not, or 2 million, <laughs> 200,000 a week or something like that. You know? yeah. They get paid a crap load of money. So there's a lot of people uh, who earn a lot of money and, might, and, and more than they can really uh, actively uh, spend. So they would stick it and they don't want to pay taxes on it. So they stick it into one of these offshore accounts. So in that sense, offshoring and I mean, it's even it's even been available to it's a, that's available to the average person in the street. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you could have millions and millions of people doing this. You know, it's become so common. You, you can open an account in, in the Channel Islands. Channel Islands, yeah. Provided you got enough money to to start it. Yeah. Protect your money. Yeah. No problem. Right. So it's fairly normal, and in that sense, and I don't think it's it's some kind of exposure of the deep dark secrets of the way the financial system on this planet works is just one small aspect of it but the the, the important thing about it is is that uh, that politicians uh, in the UK for example David Cameron have been uh, have been exposed as being a bunch of lying hypocrites which they are on so many other uh, Topics uh, and so many other areas as well. They're not just lying about their taxes. They're lying to. They have lied to you about pretty much everything. They lie all the time. Um, but yeah, Masak Fonseca has an estimated five percent of hidden, or has managed an estimated five percent of hidden offshore wealth. Five percent. That's a that's a relatively small player, <laughs> and they. They opened and managed at any one, well, not at any one time, but there's a, named in the files are half a million companies. Mm. And they're a small time player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The British Virgin Islands, an estimated 25% right. of the world's shell companies are based there. Right. That's a whole other scale. Right. That's five times as much as Panama. So why is the focus on Panama? The Panama Papers, blah, 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 blah. You've got the British Virgin Islands, which are basically. Um, pretty much a British colony in the Caribbean owned and controlled by the British government and they have five times as many more of these companies than Panama does. Why isn't it? But, I mean, that's that's an example of the, the limited nature of this uh, of this exposure, you know. Um, so, yeah, 5%, 20 times, you know, uh, 100,000 people in, the, in, the, in these Panama Papers, that's 5%. Mm-hmm. Well, then 20 times that is a whole lot. So that's 2 million. No. Yeah. 2.5 million companies, uh, shell companies in the British Virgin Islands. Right. Oh, my God. The, did you notice that the name of the company that the, the Camerons have? Blair. It's Blair Moore. Blair Moore. <laughs> yeah. something rich about that. Yeah. yeah, Moore, Blair, Tony Blair, exactly the same creature. Yeah. And the thing is, this, this idea of, of tax, I mean, what we're really talking here about it is, is kind of tax theft. Because while ordinary people pay their taxes and that those taxes are meant to go to provide infrastructure and services for the people in the country, <clears throat> um, politicians and other rich people do not pay 
anywhere near as much taxes, even though they earn much more money. Uh, and, you know, earn money when they're not really entitled to it. Uh, they just give themselves that money. Um, so, in that sense, them not paying their taxes is like stealing money from uh, from the ordinary people. They steal money uh, in the sense that they give themselves large salaries and benefits uh, and expense accounts <clears throat> that they're not uh, ju- that are not justified or they're not, they're not really entitled to. <clears throat> uh, so they, in that way, they take take money from from people's uh, take the sweat of your brow, basically the money that you earn. They take a chunk of it, give it to themselves, and then don't pay tax on it. Uh, so, and then in that way, they're not contributing back to to the services in the industry or the infrastructure in the country. But the theft of of people's tax taxes by governments is it's the way particularly in the West, the way countries operate, the way governments run. They they they, they basically see ordinary people as cash cows. That the the money and the the energy that people put into the work that they do and the wealth the the things slash wealth that that produces has always been seen by this by governments as you know free money you know to do with what we want it's ours to basically let's take some of this this is too much this is far too much I mean we're, these people are working you know forty fifty hours a week uh, they're working most of their waking hours uh, uh, for most of their lives and it's producing an awful lot more than uh, is necessary really uh, so we'll just set it up so we skim a bit off well everyone. we skim a big chunk off the top I mean, well, well the base becomes a chunk well the way they, they go do too it, far and the, but it's not that they skim off illegally in that sense but what I'm saying is that they take that and do it in a legal way or they do it in a so, supposedly justified way like take war for example I mean they take your tax dollars and everybody agrees okay and they buy uh, they give that money to arms manufacturers who then give the army of the country weapons so your tax dollars are paying for weapons that then are dropped on the heads and on the infrastructure of another country uh, so that the corporations that are tied to your your the governments back home can go into that country and take control of that infrastructure and those natural resources uh, in that country that they bombed with your tax dollars and take control of the wealth of that country and ship all the profits back home to the British corporation who then give some of those profits to political parties i.e. to politicians, and also give jobs to politicians on the boards of these companies uh, and give them money for being on the board of that. And that, that money that they're being given as the David Cameron or whoever, or whatever politician, as the director or the, an executive director of a board of, a, of, a, of, a, of an oil company or a armaments manufacturer or, a, or whatever kind of a big business, that money is ultimately your tax dollars, tax pounds, whatever. That money that they have to give to your politicians 
it just has just gone around in a loop. It's taken from you, given to uh, the arms manufacturer who bombed a country that allowed your corporations to go in there to steal the wealth of that country and take, take the profits back home and give it back to your politicians. That wouldn't be possible without them taking your tax dollars in the first place. So effectively, that is your tax dollars. Mm-hmm. And they do in the assumed belief that the little people don't know how to manage capital. Therefore, we are the capitalists and we we will take care of it for you. Yeah. Don't in, know how to manage principle, capital. That might not be wrong. But in practice, what they do with it is utterly destructive. Right. Well, they could put it back into the economy, etc., in theory, they could build uh, better roads, better housing, better. They could increase the number of hospitals, um, and and all sorts of things like that that make people's lives better. But but they don't. They've actually been doing exactly the opposite of that. Uh, in the UK, in in recent years, particularly since uh, since Blair, uh, they have started to destroy, for example, the National Health Service, i.e., close down hospitals. And cut the number of jobs in in healthcare, uh, thereby making it more difficult for people to get proper healthcare service uh, that they are paying their taxes. That's meant to provide back to them, but they've been just so they keep taking the taxes, but shut down the hospital that your taxes are meant to pay for. And and what do they do with that extra money? So they're basically, they're, I mean, they're getting getting to the point now where uh, they're not even the the money, the tax money they've been using up until now to give back to the country, they're just stopping to, stopping doing that. Saying, okay, we're not going to do that. We can't do it anymore. We can't afford it. We have to cut the budget. Yet they've got billions and billions to give to arms manufacturers to bomb other, to bomb other countries. Um, but uh, the idea that people can't manage capital is kind of nonsense as well because, well, if you've got too much capital, what do you need capital for? I mean, you need enough money to run the country and to provide vital services. Uh if there's too much money, then you basically just, uh, for example, you reduce the work week. You reduce people's labor. Cut the work week down to like uh, to, to, to 25 hours. Then you won't have so much capital. You won't have to worry what to do with it. Mm-hmm. The problem here is that the British regime, for example, doesn't see its remit as being managing the country. Its remit is to manage the globe Yeah. in part. Here's what I'm getting at. There's a fantastic article um, by Dan Glazebrook. Uh, we have it on SOT. It was an op-ed on RT. Britain is at the heart of the global tax haven network. Um, he he suggests that it was a more or less explicit policy move on behalf, on behalf of the uh, British government in the 60s when they realized, okay, we're descaling our uh, direct investment and involvement in our colonies. And then the, this exploded. This tax net, this tax avoidance scheme, this uh, controlling certain locations in the world for managing the world's finances, kicked in as a sort of a, a more covert means of influencing things. Um, does that make Britain the, the 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 top dog on the planet? No, because of course, conspicuous by its absence in this whole Panama Papers affair is the lack of any dirt coming up about any U.S. Um, individuals or corporations. But still, this is a, an interesting way that the light's been shone, on, particularly on the city of London, because what's going on at the moment with the U.K., 
they've got the whole Brexit thing going on. They're going to have a referendum on whether or not to leave Euro the European Union. The key issue, really, between Brussels and London is over the fact that it is a tax haven, a giant global casino. And there's a, <clears throat> a battle going on, not simply over whether it'll leave or not, but Britain does not want to comply with what would be the harmonization of fiscal and financial regulations across the European Union because it doesn't want it such a move to impact its actual remit as opposed to its assumed one, which is simply to look after the manage the manage the finances of its own country. No, it's it's a lot bigger than that. They don't give a toss about the people in their own country. They have much bigger, <clears throat> loftier interests. Yeah, which is global domination, which is the, <clears throat> the continuance of the British Empire in, a, in an economic uh, sense, basically, where they uh, their overt or their official empire uh, went the way of the dinosaurs, supposedly, but they kept the most important part, which is an economic uh, control over the movement of capital. And, I mean, this is there's a big, just a consortium that, that runs the world in this way through the through the allocation of money, through the control of money, through currency manipulations. Uh, they have a lockdown on it and they control most countries in that way and they control them in the sense of um, <clears throat> squeezing, basically making, making countries uh, debtors, debtor countries to uh, large institutions and to foreign, foreign nations like Western nations. Um, and in that way they, they enslave the, the people of, the, of those foreign countries as well. Uh, they they, uh, they create a national debt basically for, for in other countries and countries that hold out very, for, for too long and resist that kind of influence of basically um, taking large loans from Western institutions and that you can never pay back and then allowing access to Western companies to your to your nation in, in return for, for that that loan. Um, they've that debt that that country holds in is is leverage. I mean you talk about the IMF and the World Bank and stuff here, they go into countries that they give debts to, then they tell them how to uh, tell them how to structure their tax system, which directly affects basically you gotta get more money from all these people, you've got to make your people work work harder and longer for less. Uh, thereby paying back this uh, exorbitant loan that you can never pay back that we that we gave you that we forced on you uh, uh, by this you off very often in in countries in Africa and Asia and stuff by uh, by saying um, uh, take this big loan from the IMF or from loans from other major in, international banks um, and we'll give you a kickback a brown envelope to the leader of that country. And very often the leader of that country, in particularly in Africa, was installed uh, <laughs> was installed uh, as part of a coup that was organized mm -hmm. by mercenary forces from Western nations. Uh, and this, they is play the, this is the way they control the world. Most of the time, but now and then they um, you know. develop pangs of conscience or who knows what, and then they become brutal evil dictators then who must be eradicated from the face of the earth, which is right. what happened to Noriega in 1989. Right. When the U.S., which had in the 70s um, been given a carte blanche to invade Panama to protect the canal, protect, and um, basically exercised that treaty right and removed Noriega, who became evil when he stopped playing playing by the the 
the the unspoken rules of their contract. Yeah, what amazes me is that people don't don't figure this out, you know, and they're just led along by the nose, and they can completely forget stuff that happened in just the past, you know, in a few years, in the previous few years. Uh, I mean, take Assad for example, in the kick off of the Syrian war. I mean, Assad was a lovely man who was faded in Buckingham Palace and met Tony Blair in 2002 and he was friends all the way up until you know the late 20 late 2000s type thing and until until they started uh, they decided that they were going to go for a, a regime change because he wasn't interested in aligning himself with the western agenda that he had basically a historic uh, alliance with Russia Syria had a historic alliance with Russia and they weren't going to play uh, then we're going to change sides, basically, and then he becomes a brutal dictator. People forget. I mean, how can these how can these people justify, um, you know, inviting someone? And the same was true with Gaddafi, you know, in Paris with Sarkozy and stuff. And then suddenly they become brutal dictators, killing their own people. It's so so crass, and tra- obviously, or transparently bullshit. You know that they've just changed. They're just they're just calling the person a name, a bad name, to justify to whip the ordinary people up into ju- justifying some kind of a a war, a bombing campaign in that country because that the leader of that country did not want to play the game the way the West wanted to play. Um, so it's just pure demonization and smear campaigns and calling people's name people names, and apparently that's how you can justify wars today. You know, of course, maybe that's the way it's justified wars uh, throughout history, but um, I mean, we've seen exactly the same thing with Putin. Uh, and, and it's really, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for, you know, many people who buy into that nonsense, you know, because it's, it suggests that they're they're not very intelligent at all, even in well, the face of just, just being able to, just, just to recognize uh, uh, a problem, a very basic, simple problem with the fact that you were friends with him yesterday. And today you're calling him a brutal dictator. I, I uh, suggest to me that you have a hidden agenda. It suggests to me that you want me to think that he's a bad person when it's not very clear that he's a bad person because yesterday you were friends with him. Uh, he didn't do anything between yesterday and today to justify you calling him a brutal dictator. So why are you calling him a brutal dictator? They can't even work that out. They can't even come to that basic conclusion. Uh, because they believe that, uh, apparently they believe the politicians tell the truth all the time, but uh, David Cameron's a liar uh, about his about his taxes. So why would you believe anything else he says? When someone tells lies about one thing, it's reasonable enough to assume, or at least be suspicious, that they may be lying about something else. But apparently... Absolutely. Um, I was dismayed this week that uh, within hours, within the day of... The Panama Papers. It, it really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The Panama Papers. They have the, they have the name ready ahead of it. Anyway, within within a day of it breaking, about what the whole of Iceland was on the streets calling for the head of their prime minister, mm. which they got. It's not clear he's definitely gone, but he's basically too late for him to go back now. He admits culpability. In having his name on something in, that was in the Mossack files, Mossack files, and I was thinking, Icelanders, are you that? Are you really that dumb? Do you not? 
have some experience now, given what happened four or five years ago. I mean, you had some success there. You changed the laws in your country. The bankers ended up footing the bill for what happened, and not you. But you've just booted out the guy, or gone along with the booting out of the guy, who was instrumental in protecting you the last time around. And it, we'll see how this plays out, but I think in one easy move, but uh, we've got one of the first casualty in this operation, if we can call it that. In this coup? It's, it's basically been a coup. You've just been had. Probably. Did you not learn anything? Well, yeah. But, I mean, people are worked up by, I mean, it's justifiable for people to think, you know, to want their, their leaders to be impeccable. I know, this thing, is the thing in taxes. But, but this, like is what, this is what we were saying at the beginning of the show, though, is that um, this isn't really... Um, this isn't the fact that people have put their money in offshore accounts um, to avoid paying taxes isn't uh, in in this in the modern world is way way down the list of the kind of egregious crimes that are committed. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking like I said, you're talking about pop stars and footballers, uh, sports people, etc., are all on those lists. You know, people who have a few million that they don't want to pay taxes on. And it's become so routine that probably most of those people, it's presented, certainly it's, it's become so routine that it's presented those people when they go and talk to one of these uh, companies uh, about setting up uh, a corporation to put their money into, it's, it's probably not, they're, they're not told that, you know, this is illegal. You could be prosecuted for this. They're not told that. This is like, well, this is a country, uh, Panama, British Virgin Islands, Channel Islands, uh, these are places that everybody accepts uh, have very tight secrecy laws on banking and also where you basically pay very, very little, if any, tax at all. In fact, you can they don't have any tax on, on money that's invested in companies uh, in these countries. And nobody's... I mean, why, isn't, why wasn't it shut down before? Why, I mean, the very idea of a tax haven is doesn't sound very offensive. It's like... Well, you've got extra money and you don't want the tax man to get it, put it over there. I mean, that's what you go to your accountant for, right? Uh, you go to your accountant and you ask him, listen, how can I best, uh, what can I do with my extra income so that I reduce the amount of taxes I have to pay? Because there's tax structures in every country where if you keep it in your bank account or something, mm -hmm. you'll pay extra tax. If you buy a house, you'll pay less tax. So yep. there's ways to do that. But they, So it's just one step away from saying, well, is there a way where I can pay no tax whatsoever? Yes, stick it in the British Virgin Islands. Yeah, there's an understanding. It's built into the system in the um, Australian ABC documentary we have on SOT at the moment. Uh, the tax inspector interviewed, the Australian tax inspector, explains how it works. Well, we prefer to call it, he says, a low-tax regime or a low-tax environment or something. Right. Which is, of course, a less dirty word than a tax haven. Right. But he wasn't just being polite. He was explaining that when it's demonstrated that a bank transfer is about to happen between, say, the the, the profits account of the largest mm. corporation, BH Hilton or something, it's mm -hmm. a mining corporation in Australia, they, they don't hide that the fact that they're going to send a massive tranche of funds to the British Virgin Islands. The Australian government goes, okay, well, there's a, a tax, a smaller tax on sending the money out. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the term he used for it. 
there's an understanding that, okay, you know what you're about to do. You're about to hide or to relocate it so that you avoid a 30% corporation tax. Mm. Here instead is a 10% withholding tax to remove it from the country. Mm. And everyone knows what it's for. Mm-hmm. And they're happy. You gave us 10%. Right. Oh, we're happy with that. Mm-hmm. On you go. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the 50 years Mossack has been in operation, I just checked, by the way, they don't have 500,000. They have about half of that, 250,000 shell companies registered there. In the 50 years they've been in operation, not once have they been cited in any scandal whatsoever. And many of them have, and repeatedly, this company, no. Hmm. It was above board, untouchable, who knows what, some kind of CIA cutout Hmm. in some indirect way or possibly very directly. Not once. And then kaboom. Hmm. The the entire tranche, the entire track record, the entire history of this company is just dumped. But getting back to the original, the, the history of this guy, uh, Mossack, the German guy, uh, and his father being in the SS and his father basically be working for the CIA and uh, moving. Do you notice the logo looks a bit like a swastika? Yeah. Moved to the, moved. So he, I mean, the idea, when you're talking about the CIA, obviously you're getting to the heart of the, of the origin of this idea of a tax haven, countries that are created as tax havens. And it's basically for, uh, it was created by intel agencies for... Um, places to put money, uh, large sums of money from drug trafficking and other illegal activities that are engaged in by uh, Western intelligence agencies. For conducting other illegal activities. Right, it's basically their black budget Mm -hmm. and you can't keep it in the country because effectively it would be government money so it's like the CIA's bank account basically that they, and they generate money, CIA, MI6, Mossad, etc. generate money uh, from illegal activities, including drug running uh, and all sorts of other nasty things. And they wanted somewhere to put it, somewhere that they could, and like you said, Panama was more or less created uh, by America for that, and it was used partly for, or at least largely for that specific, specific purpose. And then it just caught on. It's like uh, money that you don't want uh, to be official money type thing, mm-hmm. or if you... You know, if you want, you want it to be secret to keep it away from because you know it's the idea of paying tax on. Of course, yeah, you never pay tax on any other illegal money, but because uh, <laughs> be it wouldn't be a tax fraud; it would be uh, drug running and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, illegal arms uh, shipments and stuff that would uh, they'd, they'd be up at court for, not tax evasion. But um, it's uh, here's the beauty of this global scam scheme, whichever. Money doesn't actually go to these places, not even digitally today. Hmm. It remains parked in the bank accounts in Wall Street, London, and Switzerland. All that's happened is that a screen has come down saying you're not allowed to discover who the ultimate owner of these funds or gold or whatever assets they are, Hmm. properties. You're not allowed to see it. And it's a screen. It's an artificial screen, a legal screen that cites the legal authority of the British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, Panama, where the law there is structured to say, no, you're not allowed to find out the ultimate owner. Whereas in most countries, Western or not, there are, of course, practices in place to say that you are you must disclose the original, the ultimate beneficiary. That's all it is. They're simply little tiny legalistic trapdoors. Mm-hmm. Here, 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 and here. Maybe a handful of places really only where it's still in place. Um, 
Now, the interesting thing is, there, this isn't the first big scandal about offshore funds of the elites in the mm. last few years. There was one that, concerning Switzerland that's been running hot and cold for a few years now, concerning U, UBC, U, USB, I'm not sure what it is, a Swiss bank. Uh, and British banks, and banks aren't really belonging to any country, but that their offices in Switzerland came under a lot of pressure. And the Swiss are changing the regulations to force disclosure of assets. And they're being shut down one scandal at a time. People are, countries, legal authorities and countries are starting to comply. But no one ever touched Panama. Panama will probably be up next, mm. shut this trapdoor, one at a time, but on a select basis. Mm. While all this is going on, the legal authority pushing this the hardest is the United States government. They've been behind. You see the names pop up. In, they always have something to say about, oh, those those dirty Swiss, you know, protecting uh, legal assets and, and we want our money back. And yeah, While this is going on, there is a flood of money going to tax havens within the United States. Mm -hmm. Bloomberg ran an article just up two weeks ago about how Nevada is now the new headquarters for Rothschild, mm. among others. Nevada, so there's a specific regime been set up in, within the U.S. federal structure that is essentially exactly the same. It's a tax haven. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it was disclosed that Rothschild is... I, I do, actually. that One of their own spokesmen described it as such um, in this Bloomberg article. That, so there's, it's, not, it's not a secret or anything like that. Um can't find it now, but the guy's name was Penny. He was um, a financial analyst working for Rothschild Co. And uh, he came right out and said it, that the U.S. is going to be the world's biggest tax haven going forwards. <coughs> mm -hmm. I wonder if there's something like, um, if there is a pattern to not just this scandal, but recent ones to a, a tighter leash on the existing subterranean covert network of illicit funds towards seeing the U.S. as, in the end, the only safe haven for your monies, mm. thereby increasing, in many ways, the control mm -hmm. that the United States government as a whole has over what anyone does with their money. Right. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, but of course, you know, yeah, they could be heading, I mean, like we said, there's an awful lot of people in the world who do this, who have extra extra cash to spend or extra cash floating around there. There's an awful lot of people who use these kind of uh, tax havens, etc. And um, it is a sizable chunk of it. And yeah, um, the U.S. setting itself up as the uh, as a go-to place, the safe place for for all of those funds, yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't change. I mean, the reality on the ground for the average person, you know. I mean, you're talking about you mentioned a hundred thousand. There's probably there's probably I don't know how many millionaires are. I don't know you're talking about millions of people. There's millions of people who possibly have um, have money uh, hidden away in 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 different places like this in the world. But then there's the other... Well, we're talking about the big players here. Then there's the other 7 or 8 billion uh -huh. people on the planet who don't. 
who are just uh, you know working and um and paying their taxes you know what i mean it's it's kind of uh, it's really <laughs> the whole thing is, re- is is to a certain extent like we said it's, it's fairly small potatoes in in terms of a news story uh, except in the sense that it has come out that the value of this story is in that is that it has it's not the fact that such tax havens exist and people use it, but rather that politicians trumped up, puffed up, toffee-nosed Windbags. prats uh, who are, are on the news every night talking about... Austerity, austerity. Right. Must pay taxes. Pay taxes, and we're going to... It's immoral, and we're going to chase down anybody who tries to avoid paying their taxes. I mean... Like in the UK, for example, benefit frauds, which is, you know, when you get the... Oh, unemploy- free riders. Unemploy- Scum. Yeah, unemployment benefits or child child benefit or whatever. Uh, apparently costs uh, a billion a year. Uh, and in 2009-10, um, there were 9,000 cases of prosecutions of ordinary people for, you know, claiming too much benefit, like too much child benefit, too much unemployment mm-hmm. benefit. Um, but evasion of direct taxes, which is estimated at five point five billion a year, five and a half times that amount, or prosecuted about thirty times a year uh, on average. Well, and just a little, a little piece of information: Britain, Britain has fifty-four billionaires, fifty-four people who have more than one billion pounds, and most of them are. Non-doms, as they call them, non—they uh, don't actually live there officially. Non-domiciled in the UK, yeah. Yeah, uh, in two thousand five, they paid. Uh, well, they have a t- in two thousand five, they had a total fortune of one hundred twenty-six billion. Those fifty-four billionaires, and in two thousand five, they paid a total of fifteen million tax on that one hundred twenty-six billion. So I think that's zero point five percent or something like that. Or no, it's actually. But less, uh, less than half percent uh, tax on their income, the billionaires, whereas every other person is paying thirty percent, at least twenty thirty percent. So, the the unpaid th- taxes of David Cameron and George Osborne alone will probably account for the missing billion from benefits, right? Fraudsters and cheaters. Yeah. So the problem here is. Uh, the the value of this story, the Panama Papers, quote unquote, is that it has highlighted the hypocrisy of these of these political yeah. leaders who trumped up political leaders who are trying to uh, sound moral and you know uh, kind of cracking down on ordinary people who aren't paying you know who who didn't pay you know the full amount of their taxes you know hitting everybody for you know. Hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, or something like that, uh, and saying that it's immoral and we're going to get you and we won't, we won't tolerate this for one moment. These very same people are avoiding paying tax themselves. So the the important the important part of it is that uh, they are it's highlighting or it's you know exposing in one small way, mm-hmm. the nature and hypocrisy and yeah. arrogance of 
our political leaders, which people really should have figured out uh, by now. But maybe, uh -huh. maybe they need this kind of thing to really bring it home to them, you know. A, an Australian politician in the ABC broadcast uh, was quoted as saying, what we're looking at here is a parallel universe. And it really is, it's described in other terms as a breakaway civilization. It's an entirely different world of ramified networks. And this scandal, in quotes, will in no way put a dent in their activities, in their existence. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, I agree. There's value to acknowledgement of the fact that it's there. And we'll see what comes from it. It'll be used, it's already been used for cheap political shots. Uh, but in the meantime, I wonder how many people that can really fool with this. I mean, people are... Everyone knows this already. This this reminds them of the status quo. And uh, we'll go on from here. Uh, last year, Americans paid the most tax. The federal government has collected the most tax it ever has. Um, in relative terms, so that's to say, even given the fact that most people are either unemployed or earning less, definitely earning less in real terms, they still extracted the largest tax pool in the country's history. So you can expect that trend to continue, tightening, squeezing more, more. And it won't go on forever. There's a breaking point. There's a breaking point. There'll at least be leaks if there's not a complete collapse. But this is another aspect of the extreme pressure on people among other factors not least climate and mm -hmm. harder realities like food availability crop crop failures and so on in the meantime in other news which was or ought to have been the leading story given that it's been the primary thing shoved in people's faces for the last 15 years, namely the war on terror. <clears throat> They've got a fine balancing act going on, whereas it's still being shoved in people's faces. Terror, terror, terror. We arrested this guy. We found this suspect. You know, he was plotting to do this. Oh, another terror attack, yada, yada. But, and yet the source of all this terrorism in recent years, as told to the people, namely Islamic State in Syria, it's hardly getting a mention. It's in passing, oh yeah, they've just retaken Palmyra from ISIS. And breaking news today is that Aleppo is about to fall from ISIS back into Damascus control. And uh, yeah, pay no attention to this though. That's what the message is. That that's something I can't get my head around. How long do I think they can keep this up? Where it's a, a non-stop barrage of stories about how there's going to be more terror and more, and it's going to get worse and worse. 
And the thing they've identified as a source of all that terrorism is weakening significantly, at least in Syria. Iraq's another story. Um, one particular item from this week is the uh, confession of some guy they said was the man in the hat at Brussels airport. Mm-hmm. Abrini, I think his name is. Yeah, I, I, I want. <laughs> it reminded me of the the confessions of um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. We're going back ten years here, but this is a guy who they waterboarded 183 times until he confessed to being the mastermind of 9/11 and the attempt on the lives of Jimmy Carter and mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan and the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 and. 30 other crimes. Uh, <clears throat> apparently he was talking so much that they couldn't get him to shut up. They either gave him drugs after torturing him or they simply put words in his mouth. So, yes. Uh, that was one item. A second item was the um, bizarre... I mean, there's no, there's no logic you can't even deduct anything from what they're trying to really say to people, but supposedly the Brussels terror attacks were done on the fly because what they really wanted to do was attack Paris. But they took a wrong turn or something and ended up in Brussels or some BS like that. Um, but there's clearly a, a serious effort on the way to um, bring home the message I think to Europe as a whole, that uh, y'all need to get serious about terrorism. Mm. You're not serious enough. <clears throat> yeah, we want to see borders closed. We want to see torture accepted. Um, forget all this liberal stuff about you know actually helping people. Yeah, it's pretty pathetic. I mean, it's obviously a mass manipulation of uh, of people's perception of the world it seems they want just everybody to have a very uh, kind of negative and afraid and kind of kind of dark view of uh, of the world and of course people will be distracted by you know ordinary life and stuff but i think it's it has its kind of subtle and pernicious psychological effect where it's in the back of their minds all the time you know what i mean where they're, they find themselves doing things that they uh, um, didn't do before, you know. It's basically engendering a, a sense of insecurity in people. Uh, they'll find themselves looking at, for example, anybody who looks like a other of uh, Muslim, uh, if they're a practicing Muslim, or if they're of Arab extraction, or if they're of Muslim extraction, you know, if they're if they're. Ex- if they're if they're from Muslim Muslimland Muslimlandia Muslimlandia, mm. um, which is that place where all the Muslims live, uh, anybody that looks like that, you're, you know, you have you're wary. I mean, it it, it generates a, a feeling of insecurity in people, and <clears throat> and just being out. <clears throat> I mean, the back of people's minds being out in um, 
uh, in a shopping center or in a metro station or in an airport or flying on an airplane. Of course, 9-11 did a lot for that, but flying on an airplane. Just the general kind of background fear that might uh, that, that that is increased in people. Apparently, this is uh, yeah Muslimistan. Um, the general background fear that people uh, experience is something that they seem to seem to want. Uh, for some reason, it serves their purpose in some way or other. Um, but on the ISIS thing, yeah. It's very interesting, the whole ISIS thing, really, from a psychological perspective, and how they're how they've been able to uh, how they've been able to uh, create that that image of um, of ISIS and what it's able to do and what it has done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I mean, that's why we. Uh, that's why we we were very we we're all very happy to see uh, Russia come in over the past uh, six months or so and just kind of like uh, expose it for what it really was, which is just a bunch of a ragtag bunch of uh, well, well, fairly well trained and equipped uh, mercenaries in the pay of in the pay of um, Western powers and uh, with the connivance of the Saudis and the Turks, whatever, to 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 wage a war on, on Syria and that's exactly what it is but I mean the way it's been promoted and I mean the whole thing is just very very uh, very suspicious you know and very very dubious about mm-hmm. how a group of people you know whatever I don't know we don't know the numbers 20, 30,000 of them whatever um, could get together and um, you know appear onto the Western scene, the Western media scene, before the Western public's eyes in this horrible, brutal fashion. You know, I mean, it's it was a real caricature. I mean, they were the classic kind of uh, evil, the, the stuff from your worst nightmares type of thing. You know, uh, and they were personified into this ISIS group that oh, we can't do anything about. And I mean, the whole thing was just so transparent. I mean. <laughs> I just go, what the frick? I mean, what's wrong with people, really? Like, I mean, you have, you know, Western powers every other day. Assad must go. Assad's an evil dictator. Assad's bombing his own people. Assad kills Santa Claus. I mean, Jesus and Santa Claus and JFK and fake the moon landings and uh, they, you know, whatever. Uh, they're, they're responsible for everything possibly that has ever bad, everything bad that's ever happened and anything that, Possibly could happen uh, bad to you. They're responsible. They're your worst nightmare. Uh, and that's the Assad regime. And so they're saying this. And they're making it really, really clear that they want to overthrow the Assad government. And then you have this ISIS group who is doing exactly that. But at the same time, they're saying uh, ISIS is really bad. But, you know, they're doing what we want them to do. Uh, and we can't really, it, we can't do anything about them, sorry. I mean, we'd like, I mean, they're really terrible. They're a threat to the entire civilized world. Um, but our bombs keep missing them, uh, coincidentally. And they're doing 
what we want to see happen, which is overthrow the, the Assad government. But we hate them. And you should be afraid of them. I used to be afraid of them, and we hate them. Uh, but uh, I don't know how else to say this. You know, um, ISIS are all right. You know, they're not so bad, really, because they're doing what we want them to do. In fact, we actually support ISIS. I mean, okay, let me spell it out to you. <laughs> I mean, do you have any brains at all? You know, uh, these are a bunch of jihadi mercenaries that came out of nowhere that some French uh, reporter who was caught by them and was uh, imprisoned by them, whatever, for 10 months, uh, said they didn't even have Qurans. Uh, you know, I don't know. What's, what's, I don't know what the boogeyman looks like. What's a scary monster from, 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 you know, your childhood or something, or from books, you know, I don't know. Dracula or something, you know. I mean, they could all just be dressed up in Dracula outfits, you know, with fake fangs and stuff, and, and flapping their clip. Their, their, their capes across Syria, and that would basically, you know, effectively be the same, you know, have the same effect on people. Well, actually, it would be, it would be funnier. But um, it's just it's it's bizarre that people can't make that connection. You know, um, that when you have Western governments all saying Assad must go, Assad's evil, he's a brutal dictator, he's killed his own people, we hate Assad, we hate Assad, and then you have an ISIS mercenary army coming in saying we hate Assad, we're going to get rid of him, we hate Assad. And you don't make the connection between those two people. Mm. Uh, yeah. At, at, and at the same time, when your Western governments are saying, yeah, we just, we can't do anything about them. We were able to invade Iraq, bomb and invade Iraq, prevent, provide shock and awe to Iraq, and then invade the country for, two, for 10 years with 200,000 troops. But ISIS is way worse. That's what they say. ISIS is way worse than any than Saddam Hussein ever was. But we can't do anything about them. But mm. well, if ISIS is way worse, how come... Where's your 200,000 troops, plus your 200,000 pasty white mercenaries uh, that you send in? So basically, where's your more or less 400,000, 500,000 armed soldiers that you sent to Iraq uh, over a period of 10 or 12 years? Well, uh, did, you, uh, did, uh, did you fire them or something? Are they not... Some of them were available? hired... Um this is another reason why London is evil. Some of them were hired by mercenaries private armies, private contractors, and they're popping up in Yemen. Estimated a couple of thousand um, British soldiers who had fought in Iraq are now fighting on behalf of what is essentially a Western corporate war in Yemen, ostensibly against al-Qaeda in Yemen, but really to suppress an uprising mm. and to maintain yeah. strict control of the Gulf of Aden. So they're otherwise occupied, is that? <laughs> uh, I think a lot of them are, really. Um, Where's all the U.S. troops? A lot of them are working for these private companies. No, but there's actually U.S. troops as well. There's still a big contingent of U.S. troops that all came home from Iraq um, and Afghanistan. A lot of them are probably homeless. Homeless, yeah. So they have been fired. Or going nuts. So that's why we couldn't get ISIS, because we fired all the soldiers. Uh, it's just bonkers, you know. It's just pff, complete and utter nonsense. And um, if people could just stop a minute and say, okay, you know, just... I think call a spade a spade type thing and go look this is screamingly obvious here that what's going on I mean by their own admission you know uh, it, it serves their agenda and people get you know well, you know qui bono you know who who benefits and stuff but that I mean if if there was some intrigue in your own neighborhood or in your own family you know you have no problem figuring out who's behind it you know 
Who stole the whiskey? You know, yeah, it's my drunk uncle. You know, he had means, motive, and opportunity. You know, he's been talking about whiskey all week, and then my whiskey bottle disappears. It's empty. Who did it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it was ISIS. He's blaming, you know, he's blaming little Johnny. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. He's blaming, yeah, and it's like, he's blaming your granny, you know. And you're like, dude, it's not that complicated, you know, really. Uh, Something remarkable happened last week in the U.S. I think it's remarkable because it's the first time I saw it in a long time. There was a nationwide strike. Well, it didn't affect the entire nation, but it was a pretty widespread strike of air traffic controllers. There are not many strikes these days across the U.S. Um, why do I bring that up? Going back to what you're saying about the people's labor and the sweat of their brow being the juice in the end. Fun, funneled upwards. The it's, system is trying to suck out of people. Yeah, it's a big the US, straw sucking the, people's life force The out. U.S. is at the advanced state. This is what they want Europe to become, of course, where there are rarely strikes because the labor mentality, the cohesiveness that would provoke a common reaction among people. Hang on a second. This isn't right what you're doing to us. Is all but destroyed. Last week being an exception where there was an actual fairly big strike. Now, come back to France. Terror, terror, terror. There have been terror attacks in Paris twice last year. Now one in Brussels. It should have been for Paris. It's They're throwing, you know, they're going pretty hard at it here. Are people... Not protest. It's illegal to protest at the moment because there's a state of emergency in France. People are out on the streets, like up in arms. Not about anything to do with anything phony or color revolution. Like they're protesting the same old basic stuff, which is labor reform. I.e., you guys squeezing more from us. Mm -hmm. What I'm getting at is they got a problem because it's not quite taking hold. I think if I could imagine someone plotting all of this from above or whatever, 15, 20 years ago, they'd have hoped that by now mm -hmm. this kind of thing down. would not be happening anymore. Mm -hmm. People will be compliant. and But it hasn't taken hold in France no. anyway. I don't think it's taken hold uh, in a lot of places. And, you know, the problem is that when you read, when you watch the, the news and the, the media will select uh, particular stories and particular uh, demographics or... Uh, sections of the population to express extremist views and then everybody thinks, oh my God, you know, but there, uh, like we say, like we often say, there's a there's a kind of silent majority out there, or possibly a silent majority, who don't say anything, who just sit and watch and go, there's something, no, I, I don't like any of this, this is stupid, you know, it's all stupid, you know, and it's those people that, um, I mean, these people, in the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, like you said, you know, hoping, surely they would have hoped by now they have it they would have had it locked down and uh, they would have influenced everybody and had their, you know, their plan would be complete type thing, you know. Um, and I think they tend to, you know, want to convince themselves that that's the case, you know. And through the media, you know, they keep on encouraging the media to, to ramp up the fear factor and to push it in people's faces and stuff. Uh, and in that way... To remind them why they need us. Right, and hope by that way that it'll spread, you know, the fear factor will spread around everybody. But like like you're saying, a lot of people are just, you know, the bottom line for them is, um, I think probably for them a major problem is actually the indifference to a certain extent, the indifference of people or the apathy of people. I mean, that's bad enough as it is, but it's actually quite bad for, for the powers that be, I think, because 
while apathy may, amongst a, a large member, percentage of the population, may allow the elite or whatever to get away with a lot of things. People just don't care and ignore it. They're apathetic. Um, but that also prevents their plan of instilling fear and turning people into reaction machines from really taking hold, like you're saying as well, because people yeah. ultimately, you know, if they're faced with a choice of, you know, um, getting out in the streets and, <laughs> you know, uh, protest, you know, you know, talking about, you know, imprison all the Muslims or something like that, most people are like, ah, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't be bothered with that. You know, there's only a small section of the nut jobs who will do that. You know, yeah. the media focus on them and try and get... The, the, the great apathetic unwashed to come and join them but the great apathetic unwashed are are just apathetic and they're like yeah. you know I'm just going to watch more reality TV show this week because you've pushed kind of terror attacks in my face I'm just going to watch I'm going to dissociate even more yeah and yeah that's not a good thing <clears throat> that's not ideal but I think that's what's <clears throat> a problem for these people who are trying to provoke or uh, engaging in kind of social engineering whatever you want to call it uh, that uh, people ultimately aren't, and and their hearts aren't inclined towards, you know, mad, um, you know, fear-based uh, reactions in the sense of you know large numbers of people all getting out on the streets and, and and calling for something in a in a you know against each other effectively like like the idea of getting Western populations to all get in the streets and call for the you know, the imprisonment of Muslims or put them all in, in detention camps from people uh, are, are very disinclined to do that because they realize that, well, ultimately, you know, I live with these people, these people are in my society and there's an identification uh, with ordinary people. As much as you can drive away between us and them and black, dark-skinned and white-skinned, whatever, um, people, there's, there's a tendency to... to cooperation and cohabitation amongst ordinary people um, the bigger difference uh, and a difference that is more readily identifiable uh, I think for ordinary people is the difference between them and the elite you mm -hmm. know because I mean put it this way uh, if you walk down the street if you go down the street every day and you go into a, a bread shop or a delicatessen or a supermarket or whatever, a small local shop, and you see uh, somebody who's a Muslim, and you see him or her every day, and you know them, you even speak to them, uh, there's a commonality there and identification, and you're going to have to really, uh, I don't know, don't even know if it's possible for any propaganda machine to create a situation where that person would suddenly turn around and say, that person, that Muslim that I know that I talk to is a you know, acquaintance, whatever, uh, and seems like a nice person should be in a in a detention camp, but uh, the same person who walks down the street every day and just because of where he or she lives, they see a fat cat politician swanning past or flying past in a black tinted window Mercedes, driving in the puddles and splashing you, and then you you know I mean that's he's not one of us. I don't know that person. And I'm I'm never going to know him. And there's a very big difference between me and him, mm -hmm. and I know it, and with revelations like this coming out uh, that, that confirms that that difference, you know, between, like, this different set of rules, even, you know. Uh, and people know that. And there's a different set of tax rules, obviously, between us and the elite. But me and the, me and the Muslim guy I know who get, gets bread in the same shop as me, uh, 
I know that me and him live under the same rules. I see him going to the same store. I see him going to his job every morning. I see him picking up his kids. He does exactly the same things as me. I never see that fat cat in the Mercedes doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So the people that are playing a kind of dangerous game in terms of winding up the tension and, and provoking people, provoking uh, distress in people uh, and, and squeezing people and making their lives harder and thinking that they can turn that, use that and turn it, turn it against each other. Uh, history would suggest that uh, very often when people want to reach that breaking point and are forced out uh, to take some radical action, you know, uh, kind of knee-jerk, instinctive action because they're suffering, they're not going to take it against uh, the person in the street of whatever uh, yeah. creed, creed or, At least or faith, colour, creed or faith. They're going to, they're gonna, if it's going to happen, it's going to be storming the Bastille or storming the... Yeah. Yeah, storming yeah, the Elysee or storming the uh, storming ten down. Which might still have a very bloody outcome, but at least But at least it's a bit of a reckoning, you know? It's a reckoning rather than I mean the alternative's horrible. We watch the slow death of everything with camps and it drags it out the existence of this system. Yeah. Oh, please no. Make it quick and fast. The one of course the one thing to keep in mind is that we've had a precedent in the 20th century where Nazification in Europe did successfully get people to be ratting on others in line with the narrative they were told about them. Mm. Um, It was fairly successful. Maybe one big difference, though, is that that came on quick and fast. Mm -hmm. And it was so quick and fast, it never had a chance of being sustainable. Right. And, and, These guys and today about, are going for global and they're going for you're talking about different, full-time eternal lockdown. You're talking about a different world back then as well. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the the thing that facilitated the, the kind of you know, Nazification, Nazi Germany and all that kind of stuff was kind of global empires and the competing major powers fighting with each other mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and having world wars. And a result of that was, well, the fact that they had empires. But today we're living with... Uh, with the result of those empires, which is a much compared to 70, 80 years ago in Germany, we're living in a much more uh, multicultural and multi-religious uh, society in, in Europe and in the West. People growing up, pe- most people alive today have grown up with foreigners in their midst, in their midst and at the same time, like I'm saying, the, the, the majority of them are ordinary people who are living side by side with these other people who are also ordinary people and, and they, they see them as ordinary people and know them as ordinary people. So it it's not really, they don't have the same conditions today to be able to do, to turn people against each other as they did uh, 70 years ago in Europe where Europe was largely, you Ooh. know. I well, was found myself agreeing with, their, with you there, but then I remembered that the minority they turned German against were living in the midst. Jews. Well, Jews, yeah. But and, that's, they, and they looked like them. Right. For the most part. Yeah. Mm. But that's a, that's a different topic, really, in a certain sense. And uh, um, I think, you know, people are ratting on each other. And I mean, I think uh, in, in, ter- in, in terms of Nazi Germany, I think an awful lot was done by the by the kind of a small number of people, a relatively small number of people. 
uh, wasn't the whole German nation type thing. The vast majority of Germans just yeah. turned a blind eye. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the only way I think I could see this similar kind of thing happen again is would, would be the same conditions where you'd have the the, the minority of right wing crazy nut jobs in society who would sign up, put on the brown shirts or the the uh, the costume and you know take the oath and then go and do the do the dirty work you know um, and you they would hope I suppose or they would expect that the rest of the majority of ordinary people would just do the same thing again and turn a blind eye you know but I don't think it'll be that uh, I don't think it's that simple anymore uh, partly because I mean the problem with the Nazi Germany thing is that it's, it's there as a precedent the never again thing you know, you didn't really have that in nineteen in, in the 1930s and 40s. You didn't have a, a, a popular cultural history that everybody was aware of of this bad thing right. happening that happened in our in our in living memory, and now we're going to do it again. Uh, so that's an impediment. You know, I mean, it's like you, you do one thing and and uh, and then. You have, a tr- you have a problem doing it again, exactly the same tactics, uh, you know, relatively yeah. recently or relatively um, soon afterwards. Yeah. Because people remember and say, hang on, that was bad. You know, we shouldn't do that again. Yeah. It's just bring it once. That's your kind of trump card to a certain extent. And you have to get very creative to try and create the same conditions again. Indeed. It's, if, it's gonna, if it's coming, it's incremental and at every step of the way... It makes sense. People themselves demand it. Yeah. You know, it could be uh, closing the borders within Europe. We need more security. Mm-hmm. Um, and facts on the ground make it evident that this next innocent-looking step is the correct one to take. Mm. The, the way it's probably working this time around is that before you know it, mm. the whole atmosphere has changed and the structure is in place and it's too late. Um, quick note, the Boston Globe ran a phony, fake, pretend um, front page a couple of days ago um, where it's a, they have a, the date they gave was April, a year from now, 2017. And uh, it's President Trump orders mass deportations to begin or something. You know, there's Trump in front of a White House lectern and so on. And then there's pretend stories either side of it. And, uh, you know, I think it was part of an editorial saying, you know, we're not really going to go down this way, are we? Mm. I think they are rallying people now, or however much the media in the U.S. flirted with the idea of Trump being president. I think they are going to rally against Trump, which is an interesting, like, how, like, if you think that the, the end goal is precisely the kind of things Trump talks about that they would like, mm. lockdown borders, detention camps, mm. hard-ass attitude about everything towards mm. everyone. They've held him up as, like, um, this guy personifies all of it, apparently. Mm. And then, no. They sort of held him up as, this is what you want. No, it isn't. Okay, Mm. we remove him out of the picture. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. You'll have Hillary Clinton. She'll be nice and fair and just as evil, but uh, at least we'll keep it covert. Not not ostensibly, not not officially as evil, or not not overtly as evil. And she's covertly evil, but I mean, it doesn't take too much to look look below this, scratch the surface, and you see this evil witch. But yeah, I mean, it seems to me that that's Trump's kind of like major role to play, which is that uh, 
he's presented as the, the guy that nobody wants, you know, uh, but but scarily, frighteningly, seems to be gaining some traction. So let's swing everybody in the last minute, you know, uh, have him have him have this campaign of where he's talking about all sorts of ridiculous ideas, you know, hard ass, you know, uh, hard nosed kind of stuff, and and designed to push people towards the really. I mean, in that sense, Donald Trump's the dad coke of evil, and the the full, fully caffeinated, full sugar uh, evil is is Hillary Clinton, and and they want to, uh, but but Donald Trump is you know making a lot of noise about being evil, basically, you know, scaring yeah. people with his rhetoric and stuff, uh, so as to push people in the last moment and say, well, no, we can't really do that. You know, people have a pang of conscience at the last minute, and everybody will vote for Hillary and it's a trap, you know, it's, it's been baited into voting for, uh, real, real evil, you know, cause Trump's just a buffoon, you know what I mean? Uh, more than anything else, you know, he, he talks like a child basically and, you know, he can't be taken seriously. But, uh, Thorbjorn just said there actually that, um, uh, they didn't have any trouble, uh, he said they didn't have any trouble doing something. Uh, they were, well, they were quite successful turning people against each other in Ukraine uh, in reference to our discussion about being able to turn people against each other, that they were able to turn people against each other in Ukraine. But Ukraine's a slightly different context in the sense that um, uh, they had a war there. They actually, you know, they, they unleashed a, a war um, where a, a chunk of Ukraine uh, <clears throat> broke away, and and then the Ukrainian Kiev authorities, you know, basically launched a, a war, a, a, their silly, stupidly named anti-terrorist uh, operation, um, and lasted. It's still ongoing to a certain extent, but it lasted for a good, you know, six months to a year, uh, in, in an intense way, uh, and that sure. If you're willing to actually have a, a, an actual war on your territory, then yeah, you can. Well, all bets are off. You can turn people, uh, yeah, put 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 people into their camps uh, into their you know their respective camps, and they'll they'll hate each other, and especially because you're inflicting a lot of trauma, and uh, and the and you know the dividing. What people really hate about that situation is the division of their own of their country, what they identify as their country or their community, and the division of it. You know. Yeah, if you can promote, provoke that, but um, I think you have to go to extremes to do that, and they're trying to do that. Uh, as we were saying, they're trying to do that uh, kind of indirectly with asymmetric warfare in the sense of uh, phony terror attacks, you know, having uh, bombings and things like that and blaming it on ISIS slash maybe Muslims in general type of thing. But that's 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 very watered down and not very... Not, in no way clear cut enough for ordinary people to go with the, the narrative of you should hate all Muslims. Mm. Uh, you would really have to, for example, if it was in France or something, you'd have to have some ISIS <coughs> army uh, uh, either rise up or invade France in some way, some seg- and then and then a, a section of the French Muslims to join them and declare a breakaway republic. Yeah, if but right. that's. You know, to, to actually mirror the same or match the same conditions as in Ukraine, that's what you have to do. But that's a far cry from or having uh, the odd bombing uh, by Patsies, yeah. ISIS Patsies in 
in a train station or in an airport uh, is a far cry from what is effectively yeah. a full, fully fully fledged war on your territory. You know. Anyway, um, just before we go, then uh, speaking of Yuki Stan, our dear friend Yats yes has been booted. Oh, he booted himself. Arsenik Yatsenyuk. Arsh- two years Arshen, as, Two years as Prime Minister of Yukistan. You will be sorely missed, not. Um any ideas who's gonna line up and replace him? I'm thinking back to what Newland said in twenty fourteen. She was caught on tape saying uh discussing potential candidates for the post coup regime in, in Kiev. What did she say about um Klitschko, the boxer. Oh, can't have Klitschko because he has to. He has to go. He well, his... he wanted the post. Didn't yeah, he? he. Yeah, well, he was he was possible, but uh, he had to go and do his political homework because he was a bit of a, a political newbie. Uh, so and, they gave him yet, the mayorship of Kiev. He got the mayorship right. of Kiev and handed out yeah accolades basically handed out positions after after staging their coup. Said okay, now you can have uh, you know for for saying the right things and for following along with our Western backed uh, coup, you can. Um, you can have uh, you can be the mayor of Kiev, and uh, <clears throat> Porkyshenko, the chocolate mogul, uh, Willy Wonka can he, Willy Wonka can be the president, and uh, several other people can. Uh, you can what position would you like? Oh, it's gonna be successfully maybe. Yes, I think Newland. <laughs> I think Newland herself should just come in and take the job, like and just be honest about it. She yeah, just declare herself. But she could send Biden for an attaboy with sex. Thanks, Billy. You get promoted from Odessa. I'm a, I'm a whale Ukrainian. I'm a whale Ukrainian. I bet he's on the phone, <coughs> big time. Yeah, I want to be president. I want it. I want it. I, I want, want prime minister. <laughs> I'm whale Ukrainian. And uh, then uh, they just need then uh, Jeff, Pia. He can uh, get on the phone and get the deets to stick. The deets can all be stuck. Uh, yeah, with some super glue and um, poor Ukraine. Yeah, poor Ukraine. Made a mess of it, but you know, they just subverted the whole thing and ran it into the ground. And that's maybe they'll learn, you know. Maybe some Ukrainian people will get a clue. Uh, anyway, we're gonna leave it there for this week, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back uh, next week with another show on another topic. Until then, have a good evening. Thanks and good night. Bye bye.